Terry Danacott was a blue through and through. An apprentice professional, a youth team player, then the reserves, and finally, to his immense and lifelong pride and joy, a first team player. He later served Everton as a coach during the halcyon days of the 1980s. Terry simply loved the club, he loved football, and he loved life. Sadly, Terry was taken away from us far too soon, on the 22nd of March at the age of 71. A few weeks before his passing, I had the absolute pleasure of his company at his home on Merseyside. We recorded a podcast that was to be part of a forthcoming series featuring some of the players who represented the club in the 1970s. However, we feel that now is the time to share it. This is the magnificent, the unique Terry Daracott reflecting on a life well lived in the game of football. Terry, thanks very much indeed for joining us. Let's just start off with the, the current setup. At Everton Football Club, Frank Lampard, you'd have played against his dad, wouldn't you? I did, yeah. Played against his dad a few times. Um, and I was absolutely delighted when I heard that, that he was coming to Everton. I really was. Um, and it, it moved me to send him a message, you know, uh, just as an Evertonian. And uh, I was really pleased with the appointment. You're really pleased as well. From your perspective, as a, as a former player, former coach, former scout, with, with the strength of Frank's backroom staff, which is important. Well, it was brilliant to see to see he was bringing along with him uh, to get uh, people of that uh, stature to come to to Everton, which is great. They're not going through a great time, but I'm sure because of the uh, the experience that they've got, them lads that he's bringing with him, I think that will make the fans stand up and think, you know, we're in business here. Let's go right back to the beginning. Were you like every every other kid in Liverpool? Did you learn your craft by kicking a ball in the street? Yeah. Yeah, I was from uh, a place called Sydney Gardens, which was a tenement block in uh, Edgehill. And um, it, was, it was blocks of tenements which surrounded three concrete squares of all different si- uh, three different sizes. One was a, an 11 side. The middle one was a seven side, and the bottom one was a five side. So depending on how many turned up, it depended on which which square you played in, you know. And it was a great upbringing because there was walls everywhere that you could knock the ball against, and the goals were painted on the wall, sort of thing, you know. Did you play until it went dark? Oh, yeah, had to, yeah. That was that was that was our fun then. Then, fortunately, yeah, we lived on the second landing, and my mother at the time could look over the landing and see where I was all the time. You know, the lights from the from the flats shone down on the squares and uh, that was our floodlights, you know. <laughs> That's why we could stay out that long. When, how old were you, do you think, Terry, when you, you realised that you had a little bit about you, that you were maybe better than your mates? Well, I'll show you a couple of pictures on the wall over there that I've kept from school. And I think the first time I won a cup at St. Anne's, the school where I went. I was 10 years old. I was captain. And, uh, I mean, I'd, I'd already been playing in the streets then anyway. And uh, then we moved on to the senior school, 15-year-old um, in 65-66. And we won the cup, the top cup at, at the time, with more or less the same team as the, as the under-10s. That I played in, which was good, you know. Did you play for Liverpool schoolboys? Played for the schoolboys, yeah. Tom Saunders was the coach. Yeah, well-known figure, wasn't he? Oh, a fantastic man. An absolutely fantastic man. And I really enjoyed my time with the schoolboys. Would we know any of your teammates from them schoolboys? Um, there was uh, Lee Koo, who yeah. was my school schoolmate, centre-forward. Um, Steve Sargent. Oh, right. Left-side centre-back or left-back. Um, there was uh, Alan Mitchell who played for Liverpool he was the captain of the schoolboy side that I played in he was a right back and um, we had a decent side we got to the semi-final of the uh, English trophy and got knocked out by um, Bristol Bristol right yeah how old were you when Everton spotted you I'd have been 13 or 14 right and how did that come about was it literally someone came around and knocked on your mum's door well, um, what happened was I'd, I'd started playing in the junior schoolboys. You play for two years in the schoolboys. Um, and the, f- the first year, the team was run by a guy called Frank Cassidy. 
And then you passed on in the second year. And it was passed on to Tom, Tom Saunders. And um, people were watching me playing for the schoolboys because it was a haven for scouts, mm. schoolboy scouts. And um, they got a bit of interest from uh, different clubs and they ended up coming to the house and, you know, can we speak with with your mum and dad and is Terry available, one, one thing and another. And, um, and round about the same time, both Everton and Liverpool were interested in taking me, you know, and um, I made the decision during discussions in the house uh, that I wanted to go to Everton. Uh, there was an uncle of ours who lived with us. He was an emergent seaman, my mother's brother, and he was a mad Evertonian, so I think he had a bit of influence on me at the time. <laughs> and the biggest, the biggest influence was they've got a much better youth team set up than anybody, Terry. <laughs> Again, anybody that we remember from, from your early youth team days when you played youth team football with? Oh, yeah, I mean, Alan Whittle, Archie Styles. Good local players. David, 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 David the England schoolboy. Steve Sargent was an England schoolboy. Um, yeah, there was, we had a terrific uh, team during the, the earlier days at Everton, you know. We did well in the Youth Cup, um, got to the semi-final, got beat by Burnley in the two-leg semi-final. And we were a fantastic yeah. side at the time. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it was, it was a good upbringing. The young players now... Under 18s, 18 years of age, they, they drive their own cars into Finch Farm, they park up, they have their breakfast, they've got a state-of-the-art gymnasium, they have fitness coaches, dietitians, nutritionalists. Was it like that in your day? No, <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't know it, Darren. Um, you got in at nine, starting time was nine, you immediately got changed and started off your jobs as as you did as an apprentice. And um, my job, my first job as an apprentice was a uh, I was in charge of the first team dressing room, um, just putting kit out, taking it back in, setting it up for the next day, putting the boots out, taking them back in, cleaning them for the next day or the next session. And um, it really was an, an upbringing that, I mean, you go in and you never knew what was going to be said to you uh, from one day to the next, because <laughs> you, you were a kid and you didn't know what day it was. And the first person you bump into when I walked in the dressing room was Gordon West. And so that was a tester for any young kid, like, you know. And then, didn't do you any harm, though, did it? No, didn't. It, it, was an, it was an upbringing that I never change. Never change. Although sometimes it was daunt, daunting. Mm. Um, I just, uh, I loved it. Every day I loved it. And people used to say, God, what, what did he say to you? I said, oh, well, I said, they say more than, more than your prayers, you know. <laughs> and uh, I remember Christmas. It goes in Christmas and in the dressing room, of course, there's a bench right round with the players' numbers on, uh, first-team players. And there was a table underneath a mirror. And uh, Westy told me to get up on the table one round Christmas time. He said, I want you to get up and sing a song. I said, I don't want to sing a song. He said, you're getting up to sing a song when we're in here at lunchtime. So I, I got up, I had to get up anyway. And I sang in my Liverpool home. Oh, well, I got called for everything. You scoused this, scoused that, you know. And uh, But at least I got up and I finished it off. That was daunting, you know, more than, more than any of the other things. <laughs> Reserving football when you broke in to the second oh. team. You must have played with and against loads of senior professionals loads because that's the way it was. The Central League as it was then, Darren, was it? I thought it was a brilliant league mm. and looking back now I still think it was because of the, uh, the teams that you come up against, the, the uh, individuals you played against and like you say, they were full of um, first-team players with the odd, odd youngster thrown in. I was lucky that I, I was in um, 16 years old, I, I was in the reserve team. And it was, again, it was a massive part of me upbringing, you know. Were you a full-back then? I played full-back. Sometimes I played in midfield. Uh, 
had a few games at centre-back because I went to, to Everton as a centre-back. Nice. I played centre-back for Liverpool schoolboys. But I think Everton decided that I wasn't big enough mm. to be a, a, a centre-back. And so he moved me over to right-back and, of course, then left-back and then midfield sometimes. <laughs> as a young player... Uh, training with all these senior professionals and, and coming through the ranks. Just let me ask you about Harry Catrick. What was what was Harry Catrick like? I found him a daunting man. He, he's one. I found him. You couldn't really please him. Um, he, he was, you know, you come in of morning, being a young, naive kid. Um, like the, the apprenticeship was between fifteen and seventeen, and it, you know, just normal things like. Morning, boss. Um, see you tomorrow, boss. He never, ever answered me. <laughs> Probably others as well, not just me. Yeah. He never answered you, you know, as if to say, what's he going on about good morning and all that stuff like that. So I found him very daunting, but at the same time, he had some great ideas, you know, mm. as, a, as a manager. He wasn't a coach. He brought people into coach. And... Um, so yeah, um, it was a mixed bag. Yeah, yeah, you know, if you got in, you very rarely got a well done. Like when I played my debut against Arsenal, one two nil at Goodison, mm-hmm. full house. Thought not bad for seventeen. I thought that myself. I wasn't um, singing my own praises, and uh, not a word. So people said, uh, "How did you do?" I said, I thought I did all right. So what the manager says, I never said anything. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get to that game? To your debut? How did you get to a Oh, well, that was, a, uh, that was an experience. We lived in Page Moss in uh, Heighton at the time. We moved up from Edgehill um, to live in the bigger house. Um, and uh, me, me, me mother and my younger brother, Larry, uh, we got a bus from Page Moss to Kensington, um, crossed over the road, got the 27 from Kensington to just past Stanfield. Um, just past Stanfield. And um, got off and walked down from Anfield. <laughs> well, I mean, it's unthinkable, I, isn't it? I, was, I had a suit here and tie on yeah. with my mother and my brother. And uh, people didn't know who I was which was, you know, I suppose, unique at the time. Walked down to Goodison, got the tickets for my mum and my uh, brother, and that was it. Then it was... Uh, and the bus back after the game? Got the same same bus, same route back after the game. It's, it's just yeah. young, younger people listening to this will just find that off the scale, won't they? No, I'll tell you, like that and then. After the game, I was to meet my mother and my brother at the players' entrance. Mm. Which is a great experience because all the supporters were outside getting autographs and one thing and another. And um, so John Hayes said to me, uh, we all know he's played in this game. He said, Where are you going now, Sally? So I'm going home. He said, How are you getting home? So I said, told him the buses that I got, you know. So I'm going, he said, No, you don't get buses now. You, you played in the first team. I'll never forget his words. And he said, hey, hold on a minute. And he went he went missing. He come back and he gave me a fiver. He said, get a taxi. I honestly don't think I'd been in a taxi before. And so he gave me this money. Me and my mother and brother jumped a taxi, got it to the ice rink in, um, in uh, Kensington. They went home, Larry and my mother, and I went in the ice rink. Because I used to go there, not for ice skating. There was a, a bit of a disco in there, you know. <laughs> so that was my uh, that was my night out after my day. Yeah, that was every week now, I'm sure. <laughs> what was it like training with Kendall Harvey and Ball, Joe Rose? It was, it was unforgettable. Absolutely unforgettable because that team was brilliant. I mean, I used to look at them in all sorts of things in there. Think, wow, if we've got to move on to the to anywhere near their standard, and that I, like the three, the first three you mentioned, 
Ollie, Colin and Howard, they used to volunteer to come back of an afternoon. And the reason they did it was the gym at the time, it had a shale floor. And um, they, they all acquired spikes from somewhere. And he used to do sprint sessions. Wow. But it just won the World Cup. Mm. I wouldn't call him outstanding players along with him. And I looked and they used to go in and watch them. I've got to do all that. You've got to, if it's, it's right for them. Mm. You've got to do it, you know. And the rest of them, I mean, it was, the team I made me debut in was unbelievable. Yeah. You know, Colin didn't play in that game. He had an injury. Um, and I took Ray Wilson's place. He'd had an hamstring injury. So that was the first time I moved to left back because I'd been playing right back in the junior teams and the reserves. And he he put me in a left back. But looking back, it didn't phase me. Mm. Uh, you know, people said, you George, George Armstrong. Yeah. And I said, well, looking back, I said, I didn't have a problem with George. Mm. He was a great player. Yeah. But I didn't have a problem, and so from that point of view, the day went great, you know. Yeah, you were a young player at the time, and obviously at the time there were there was a pecking order. You mentioned Ray Wilson, and when he moved on, we brought in Keith Newton. Sandy Brown was still in amongst it. Tommy Wright as well. So it was always going to be tough for you. But I was looking at it before you played once in sixty eight, sixty nine. Didn't play in sixty nine, seventy, and twice in seventy, seventy one. Yeah. Was that tough for you, or, or, or in those days did you just accept that it was part of the process? Well, you accepted it, but once you'd had the sniff, yeah, you you know you you pushed on and wanted more, and it did help me even when I went step back into the reserves. You know, it did it really helped me the fact that I played in the first team. Mm. You know, I didn't have to pay to go on the ice rink then. You know? <laughs> <laughs> did you ever feel like packing it in when when because the players in front of you? Tommy and Keith played in the World Cup, for example. Did you think I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get sniffy? No, I never felt anything like that. Uh, I was disappointed, thinking what was ahead uh, for you to get in the team again. But um, my my idea to everything was just get your head down and and, and do your best all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. what was it like when Alan Ball left? That was dreadful. We all loved him, totally loved him. And talking to Colin Harvey recently, I said, you know, Colin. I said, um, he was unbelievable with the young players. With us, uh, we used to do a thing in pre-season where we had a five-a-side competition. So there's six teams of five and six six of the senior pros picked a team each. He would, he would uh, love to pick uh, a number of young players in his team. He, he really put his faith in us. Mm. Well, it has us jumping through the through hoops, you know. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that Alan Ball wanted us in his team, you know. Yeah. But he was great with us. He was a real leader of men, you know. You were a young man when we won the league in 1970 and, and I suppose everybody at the time just sat back and waited for Everton to dominate the 70s. Have you ever looked back and analysed that you've, you've, you've played at the top level, you've coached at the top level, you've scouted at the top level? Have you ever looked back and wondered where it went wrong and why we didn't dominate the 1970s? Because that was a heck of a team, wasn't it? Yeah, I think when the team broke up in 1970, I think that was a, a real shock um, to everybody who was involved, uh, including the supporters. And um, It was a real shock to see a team like that breaking up. Mm. You know, when, um, like I say, some through getting on, getting on in years and others through um, injury and stuff like that. And getting transferred to different clubs, you know. And it was not not something I thought about myself. I never wanted to move on. I, I've actually said before in interviews that I, I thought I'd be there till the day I die. Mm-hmm. I actually did, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I'll never leave Everton, whether it's a transfer or whatever it is, you know. When Billy Bingham arrived, is that when you really started to feel part of the first team picture? Because for the first time you were you were a regular, weren't you? Well, it didn't start off well for me with Billy Bingham, I've got to be honest, because he, he interviewed us all individually in his office. And he said to me, he, he spoke to me like he didn't know who I was, where I'd come from or whatever. And he said, uh, asked what positions I played. I said, I played right back, left back. I said, and sometimes I do a man-to-man marking job in midfield. Um, 
and he immediately said, "Oh, I don't, I don't play man to man, Malcolm Young." So well, that's one out the window. <laughs> um, you're right footed, yeah. Yeah, I don't like right footed left backs neither. Oh. So uh, I thought this didn't start so well, but then I did get in the first team under him because of one one or two reasons, and I, I did do man marking jobs, yeah. and I did play left back, although I was right footed. So uh, I mean, it worked out all right. I don't think it, the actual um, first team did very well under Billy Bingham, mm. you know. And we had some decent players in the team, believe me. We should have won the league in 74, 75, didn't we? Without a doubt, yeah. Was that heartbreaking? Yeah, it was. Because we had a run of uh, nearly 20 games without getting beat. And we should have pushed on from there. And for whatever reason, we didn't, you know. We've qualified for Europe and played AC Milan. I mean, that's that's pure Everton, isn't it? You, you qualify for the UEFA Cup. You could get anyone in the first round and we get probably the best team in it, AC Milan. Yeah. You, you played in the second leg at the San Siro and yeah. we were never going to win that, were we? No, no, because at the time, the majority of games between not just English teams and an Italian team ended 1-0 or, mm. you know, uh, went through on penalties and um, it was a daunting task, believe me, you know. I, I, was think, I thought back to Colin making his debut yeah. as a 17-year-old and uh, but it was a great great occasion. Although we went out one nil, I think. Yeah, I guess, yeah, <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah, yeah. Some uh, dubious refereeing, I think. We'll point oh, out there, it, it, there was lots of that went on at the <laughs> time. Yeah, <laughs> at the nineteen seventy seven League Cup final at Wembley, the first game at Wembley that ended nil nil. I've spoken to Martin Dobson about this, Ronnie Goodless, Duncan McKenzie, and and they all say it was one of the worst games they ever played. It was. Looking back on it, it was a great occasion, obviously, because you you played at the uh, the top stadium. But um, it was a poor game. Mm-hmm. I think both teams were really uptight, and um, it got to us a bit, you know. Um, yeah, they, they would be right in saying that. Yeah, if we'd have won that league cup final, and it could have gone either way, we could, have been, we could have really pushed on there, couldn't we? Because people say once you knock the first trophy over, it yeah. gives you a platform to to really push on. Definitely, we were desperate to win it. Mm. Desperate to win it, and then, of course, we went on to the two replays, yeah. which were totally opposite to the Wembley game. Yeah. They were absolutely fantastic games, you know. FA Cup semi final. I mentioned in the intro that a certain Clive Thomas might get a mention. Yeah, and it's still, after all these years, it still rankles with Evertonians, doesn't it? That game at Main Road. Oh well. The biggest thing for me with that is um, apparently I I very rarely went to referees. I thought, what's the point? You know, mm. you screaming and shouting at him. He's not going to change his decision. But he always come across as a real arrogant man, whether it was that game or any other game you were involved in with him. And one of the, one of the lads in the team, it might have been Brian Hamilton, asked him, why did you disallow it? Is said it be because of an infringement. Mm-hmm. I'm still wondering what that yeah. what the yeah. infringement was himself, like. You know, I don't think he did. And um, you know, we it's easy to say, but we did really well in that game. I mean, we oh absolutely, we should have we should have gone through to Wembley really. When when people assess the seventies for Everton, I think I think we get judged harshly at times. Maybe because Liverpool were the team of the seventies, yeah, yeah. they won everything, but we still. We finished high in the table, a couple of FA Cup semi-finals, yeah. League Cup final, we played in Europe. Some players that I've spoken to from that era say we were, a, we, with all due respect to Di Davis and David Lawson, who, 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 who lovely men, we were a top quality goalkeeper away. Would you, would you go along with that? Possibly. Possibly, yeah. Um, we had players in other positions who were outstanding. Um, and it's been said before, you know, we were we were linked with Peter Shilton at one time, you know, and you could imagine going back to the goalkeepers if 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 you'd have got Shilton, who was probably the best goalkeeper in Europe, if if not the world. Um, it could have been different, but uh, that's that's not having a go at them two lads, no, as you say. No, if sports and maybe isn't what football's all about. I mentioned earlier that that the pecking order behind uh, Tommy Wright and Keith Newton. 
as the 70s went on, there was the likes of Stevie Sargent, uh, Tiger McLaughlin, Mick Bernard and, and Peter Scott. When you weren't in the team, did you did you feel that you could go to the manager and say, listen, you shouldn't be playing them before me, I'm better than them, in a way that you couldn't do with Tommy Wright and Keith Newton? wasn't me. I couldn't, no, I didn't do things that way. Uh, it just wasn't me. me. Like I said before, my way was to get my head down and uh, hopefully show them that I deserve to be in the team rather than go and tell them why they in before me. No, that, that just wasn't me. And so I did that. I just got my head down in training mm. and tried to prove every day that I deserve to be at the club. I deserved a chance if it, the chance came, you know. Did you run OK with Gordon Lee? Fantastic. Yeah. Lovely fella. Uh, uh, terrific man to work for. Very genuine man. You knew you knew what you were getting every day with Gordon. Very, hope it's not sounding rude on him, but he was a very basic man, Gordon. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, he wasn't a coach, but he, he, got a t- he knew how to put a team together that fought for their lives. He had Newcastle. He had them running through brick walls. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember he was manager of Port Vale. Well, apparently they just kicked lumps off everything they played against, you know. <laughs> and they had a great... He, he, he formed a great team spirit wherever he went, you know. So when you moved to Tulsa, eventually, had uh, you just had enough at Everton, did you think? No, it comes to, come to 79, sorry, Darren, to interrupt. It got to 1979, and Everton had brought in a few new, a few new players, and one of them was Colin Todd. Now everybody knew Toddy as a, a terrific centre back, um, and uh, a man who played alongside the main centre back, mm-hmm. but he was a class player. Um, and he come, we went on a pre-season tour to Germany, and uh, played in the Olympic Stadium in uh, Berlin. And I was left out and he played Toddy right back. So I thought, now hold on. He's one of the best centre-halves we've seen for a long time. Is that going to be it for me? So I just, I did have a word with him, recording at the time. And it was coming back from Sunderland. We played Sunderland one night. And I think it was, it was abandoned the game because of ice on the pitch. And then... He got Eric Anderson to come down and have a word with me on the coach. He said, listen, he said, uh, what do you think about Toddy playing uh, centre right back? I said, well, you know, I said, I was surprised, to be honest with you, Eric. I said, but, you know, that's up to the manager. And he said, um, look, he said, Gordon's asked me to come speak to you. We want you to take the U-team coach, coach's job at Goodison. And I said, oh, I said, I'll have a think about it, Eric. And Eric was surprised that I said that. Yeah. Because he expected me just as... Because like everything, I just got on with it. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll do this, you know. Um, and I thought, um, looking at it, I went home, had a chat, and uh, decided, no, I'm not going to do it because I was 29. Yeah. I was fit as a fiddle. Mm-hmm. I hadn't had any serious knee problems at that time. And um, so I decided I wanted to carry on playing. And uh, when you come in, I was watching the Brian Clough t- t- thing <laughs> and talking about players who, who played played for him. I played with them in uh, Tulsa. And I got a phone call from Alan Hinton, yeah. who was, it was, in, was the head coach at uh, Tulsa. He said, would you be interested in coming? He said, eh, good set-up, this, that and the other. Sang the praises of Tulsa. Told me a bit about the, the, the city and what have you. So I said, eh, I wouldn't mind a look at that. And it was um, it was a good move mm. from being at Everton. Well, 13 years I was there as a player. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I went to... Um, I met... Alan Hinton and Terry Hennessy, yeah. who were both cluffy men. Yeah, yeah. Um, at Stoke, uh, at a, a hotel just off the M6 at Stoke. And it was during the petrol strike. 
and I just about got there and back by the skin of my teeth. <laughs> and I'm going to sign a big deal for Tulsa, as it was for me. And then, no, it was, it was a big, a big turnaround for me. Was it was it a was it a brave move for you? Because you'd obviously Scouser born and bred, you spent your whole life living in the city. So you're not just moving to another town. I suppose it was. I suppose it was because going back to when I was a kid, I never wanted to leave home. Mm. I never wanted to leave Liverpool, the city. And um I was I was lucky that I didn't. I'm from a big family and I wanted to stay in and around all that, you know. And um so no, it was a, probably it was a brave move, but he threw a few things my way. He said, "Look," he said, "I'm looking seriously when you when I get you all together." He said, uh, "I need to pick a team captain, you know." So um, I said, "Oh, fine." He asked me what I thought about that, and I said, "Yeah, that, that wouldn't daunt me at all, you know." Anyway, when I got there, the first uh, thing we did, we went to. Um, South of Texas to do pre-season t- training at a place called Brownsville, which is just on the border with Mexico. Um, the training there, ridiculous heat. Mm. Um, and uh, the first pre-season game we played was in Mexico. We played against a team called Monterey. And he said, he said to me, you'll be captain tonight. I said, fine. So... From then on, I was I was a captain for the, for the full season, you know. What was the lifestyle like, Terry? Well, it was totally different as it would be. You know, it was a lovely place, Tulsa. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I've since read that they call it the garden capital of the world. Right. Um, and it was a lovely place. Weather was unbelievable. And uh, he, he told us, the ones that had come fr- from England, he said, listen, we kick off at 8 o'clock at night. He said, uh, to try and beat the heat sort of thing. It was only still 90 degrees <laughs> and 85% humidity. That's the thing, You know, it? and they were throwing bags of bags of iced water on the pitch to us <laughs> while well, well, the game was going on, you know. Some big names in the league then, wasn't there? Oh, yeah. Um, I'll go through a team for you. Um, we lost in the playoffs that season, which for a, for a team... Tulsa was in the second year then. Um, we lost in the playoff to New York Cosmos. And um, it, was, it played over two legs. So on the Wednesday night, we played in Tulsa. And we beat the Cosmos 3-0 in Tulsa. And I've since found out that it was the first time in all the games that the Cosmos played that they'd never scored a goal. Right. So we've gone up there, up there to totally cock a hoop, thinking this is it, we're going to go through to the final here, you know. Gets on the Sunday night, the following Sunday night, Giant Stadium, and uh, uh, I think it was in New Jersey, but I still tell people it was in New York. And um, we played them an 80,000 all seater, full house. Wow. And their team that night, Darren, the goalie was a lad called Yassin, who was the Turkish international goalie. The right back was a lad called Eskandarian, who was Iran's uh, first in, first team international. The two centre backs were Carlos Alberto of Brazil and Wim Reisbergen of Holland. <laughs> um, the left back was Fran- Francisco Mourinho of Brazil. <laughs> the midfield was on the right, they played a young American boy called. Um, Simon Davis, I think it was, on the left, a Yugoslavian at the time, was Bogusevic, mm-hmm. who was a top international player. Midfield was Beckenbauer and Niskins. <laughs> the front two was Dennis Stewart and um, Giorgio Canalia. And at that time, they had a, they had a rule in the, in the American football that you had to play to naturalised Americans. Mm-hmm. So... The young lad Davis was was a naturalised American, and Giorgio Canali, the Italian, yeah. he, he he just changed his nationality, and they were the two that qualified them for that rule. The rules again. Uh, after ninety minutes, 
we got beat three nil, which made it three all in the tie. Yeah. After our result in Tulsa, turned round. It's fifteen minutes each way, um, and uh, they beat us three nil again. In in uh, so we lost six three overall. Yeah. Without hardly touching the ball at the time, um, I got booked twice in the same game. In the first ninety minutes, I got booked for a bad tackle. That's why. That's wiped out if you go into extra time. Right. And I got booked again in extra time. <laughs> Who did you mark that night? It would have been Bogus Savage. Yeah. Because um, I was right back, he was playing on the left. But I ended up all over the place because we were getting a real <laughs> chasing, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I, I made a bad tackle on Naiskins. And it caused a big problem on the pitch, you know, yeah. with people coming on, staff from the Cosmos team. <laughs> Cause big problem in there, so um, it's something to tell the grandkids though, isn't it? If you book for a foul, oh, you're on the skins. Well, that was me. Um, that was my last game for Tulsa. Yeah. Uh, because I started having problems with my right knee, and um, I, I thought, well, the Assateurf wasn't doing me any favours. Mm-hmm. You know, and the Assateurf we played on at Tulsa wasn't good. Wasn't good quality as the kids play on now. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it wasn't helping me knee. So I decided to come come home. Fortunately enough, I was only home two weeks on the sign for for Wrexham. Yeah, I had a look at that before. You ended your career at Wrexham. We'll we'll push it on to your yeah. to your coaching side of it. Interesting that Eric Harrison asked you to coach the kids when you were twenty nine. Had you already started doing your coaching badges? Had you no, already I'd, to I'd, I'd already shown an interest and wanted to do it. Yeah. Um. I um. You know, if the, if there was a chance, I'd go out and take the kids in an afternoon session or something, yeah, yeah. even while I was still playing for the first team, you know. And um, as such, um, I always had a, a dream that if I couldn't play, I wanted to do that, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, wherever I was going, you know. When did and, you come back to Everton? Um, it's 84. Who invited I, you back? Um, 84, it would have been... Um, Howard? Howard, yeah. Howard and Colin. And um, I came back and Howard rung me at home one night and said, um, would you uh, come and look after the reserves for me? Well, I couldn't believe it, you know. Yeah. So that was that was my first job there. I then went on for a year to Grimsby yeah. with Mick Lines. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, uh, wrong, wrong decision by me to leave Everton, to be honest with you. To go to Grimsby, um, I thought, what am I doing walking away from Everton? Something I said I'd never do. And But, of course, I was going and working with first-team players, mm. which I wanted to do. Everyone I speak to that was at Norwich in May 1987 says it was the best coach journey home they've ever had. And a lot <laughs> of it was down to you. Explain that one. Well, me and Colin were sat, sat in the front two seats. Uh, the staff normally sat at the front of the bus... Um, the players at the back of the bus and it was a hell of a trip because we were having a drink and everybody was full of it because they won the league and unfortunately for everybody on the bus the microphone which the, the, the coach driver used to use to tell us where we were or where we were going um, was next to me <laughs> so I grabbed all of the microphones so it was radio it was Radio Everton all the way home from Norwich to, to Belfield, non-stop. And I, I don't know what it was. And I'd put it down and call said, get hold of that microphone, keep them going. And I was getting players coming up from the back to give a song, <laughs> telling jokes, telling stories. And um, It's terrific, that, isn't it? It was, not, oh, it was non-stop. I don't know. I, I suppose I do know where they got it from because I was a bit like that, you know. I liked a, a laugh and a, a joke, you know. Mm. But um, it was an unbelievable trip on, you know, and uh, one I'll never forget. And later on, if we talk about being at Bolton as a scout, um, they had had a thing going in the canteen at Christmas where they wanted the staff to get up and give a song. And I thought, I'm not doing that. Colin said, you're not doing what? 
I said, Ken, I'm giving a song. He said, you know, you sang for over five hours on the coach <laughs> coming back from Norwich. He said, you're not going to give a song. <laughs> Do you think Colin enjoyed being the manager or he just accepted it? Well, it, it was an obvious choice mm. to start with. Um, he wouldn't have enjoyed the fact that we didn't win anything. Yeah. Because he just played a massive, massive part in what went on in, in, in that successful period with Howard as the manager. And I've always said, whenever we talk about this subject, Darren, um, people mustn't forget the, uh, the job that Colin Harvey did during that time. <laughs> Obviously, they're going to they're gonna talk about the manager. He was the main man. He, he made the decisions, the final decisions. But Collins', Collins uh, contribution during that period was unbelievable. And I'll never play it down, me. Mm. You know. Quite right. You're back at Everton. You're going in every day. You're at Belfield. You're on the grass with the players. You must have loved that. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a place that I never got tired of going to. I never got tired of showing people around. I Honestly, to... People used to write to me and say, is there any chance we can come in and have a look at the training? And you couldn't let everybody in who wanted mm-hmm. to come, but I used to I used to take it upon myself to show them round the outside sort of thing um, and tell them where to stand when, they were, when the session was going on. And I, I never, ever got tired of it. It was a, it was a fantastic place. Mm-hmm. It was before its time, really. Yeah, yeah. You know? Lovely place. Just tell us about the rest of your coaching career because you, you worked for a few other clubs, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I um, well, I left Everton in 1990 after spending three years with Colin. And uh, Peter Reid was manager of um, Man City. And he offered me the, um, the youth team job at City, which... Uh, I thought, yeah, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. I just left Everton. I'd only been out a few weeks. Took the job on, absolutely loved it. And my assistant, believe it or not, was Colin Bell. Wow. And me and Colin Bell run run the youth team. And what a great man. You know, I got to everybody knew what a great player he was. Mm-hmm. But as a person, what a gentleman he was, you know. And I had three great years with Colin. Um and uh, I brought him down to Liverpool once. An uncle of mine who ran uh, junior football in Scotland Road, and my uncle Mick, he, he asked, was there any chance I could bring our youth team down, which was a really good side, and play against the best of what they had down there? He said, we'll put everything on for you today. He said, it'll be all right. I said, don't worry about that. So I told Colin, I said, Colin, he said, will you come? I said, I'll come into Manchester. I said, now come on the bus. To Manchester, leave me car there and then we'll take it from there. Well, it was just at the bottom of Everton Valley, the pitch. And you could see they'd really put an effort in to do it up, you know. Big crowd around the outside. So um, we won the game, which didn't matter because I wanted these kids to have the opportunity. I said, we'll wear the full Man City kit, yeah. you know, you know, to let them feel that they played against Man City sort of thing. And then... Um, it was a great occasion. I said, what did you think of? He said, God, they love the football down here, Terry, don't they? I said, like, well, like a lot of places. I said, but I said, this is this is where it all started in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. I said, loads of players came from this area, you know. And so we had a great day that day. He really enjoyed himself. I, I want to speak to you about, about scouting because I know you've scouted for an awful lot of clubs and, and a lot of clubs have tapped into your, your knowledge and experience and, and expertise how do people get scouting jobs? You're just waiting for a phone call and somebody that you know that you've played with or against rings you up and says, do us a favour, Teddy, go and have a look at so-and-so. Well, part of the job for me, um, when you're working for the club, taking the reserves, taking the youth team, whatever, part of the job was going out scouting. Mm-hmm. Never thought twice about it. Either during the week, you take a game in. A weekend... You'd have a game on a Saturday morning. Saturday afternoon, you go and take a game in. I just thought that as part of the job, the job, you know. 
which it isn't now. The scouts, the the um, the coaches don't generally go out now to to see games, as far as I know. Um, and then the scouting thing came into play, where uh, they named people as chief scouts, and he had assistants. So he, he 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 nominated to go to games, you know. And my first one was. Um, when I left Man City in '93, really got sacked, and consequently, like like happens, um, all the staff got sacked. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, within a few weeks again, I was very lucky. I got a phone call one Saturday morning um, from Kenny Dalglish, who who was manager of Blackburn at the time. What are you doing? This, that, and the other. He was actually on his way to Manchester Airport with his wife. Uh, to go and watch Ireland play Italy in New York in the World Cup and he was telling me and I thought I knew Kenny but not to talk to like that you know and he said what are you up to I said nothing I said I've just left my uh, Man City he said listen there's a job going here at Blackburn he said do you fancy it so I said go on he said "Um, you team job to work alongside uh, Alan Irvin it was the youth team coach at the time. And uh, I said, oh, you're joking, aren't you? You know, I couldn't believe it. And it happened so soon as well, after the City thing. So I went to the... I actually went to uh, to Blackburn in 1993. And in the next season, he won the league. <laughs> so I know they put a lot down to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it can't be coincidence, can it? <laughs> But, they, I mean, it must be nice, as you just said, you didn't know Kenny that well. But, obviously, he knew of you. So, you said yeah. you must have had a reputation in the game. Well, he, he actually... Kenny rung Tony Book before he spoke to me. Right. And he asked Tony Book a, a couple of questions about me. And um, Tony spoke very highly of me, apparently. And that was it. That's when Kenny rang me. Mm-hmm. So, I started there. And it was brilliant. I absolutely loved I was there. You know, people say, how long did you work at Everton? I said, overall, I worked for 18 years, 13 as a player, five on the staff. I was at Blackburn for 14 years. I worked in, with the kids. Ray Offer took over as manager, moved on to work with the reserves. Um, I ended up working with the first team whenever Tony Parks took over as a... Mm. As a, as a caretaker manager, he often did put the likes out, Tony. <laughs> yeah. You know, and uh, worked with the first team, and um, it was brilliant. I mean, I, I've got to say, particularly with regards to working with Kenny. Mm. I mean, he, he set the whole atmosphere. He set the whole stall. Stole out. You know, the atmosphere was brilliant. So you must have a lot of affection for Blackburn Rovers then, because I'm sure a lot of listeners listening to this won't realise you were there that long. That I was. And uh, um, I did, like I say, I did every job there, apart from mark the lines for the, on the pitch. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was it was brilliant. It was a, Jack Walker was, was uh, financing the club mm. at the time. And what a job he did, I mean... He turned it into a. He turned it into a Belfield, uh, with, with a, a Goodison revamped yeah. um, Ewood Park, yeah. and the place was an absolute joy to go to. You know. Just to finish off on Skelton again, is there still, are there still Seamus Coleman's out there, Terry? Are there still? Golden nuggets that you that you can find in the middle of nowhere. We had a scout who discovered Seamus Coleman. Yeah. He played sixty grand for him. Yeah. He's played three hundred games. He's a fabulous player. He's a fabulous lad. Are they still out there? The, the scouts, the scouts with the, the overcoat, the flat cap. You've got to believe that. Are you've otherwise you're wasting your time. Yeah. I mean, they're not. All, it's not all going to the San Siro, and to Argentina and places like that. Um, You've got to believe that you're going to go somewhere one day and think, oh, he's not bad. Mm. Didn't I didn't actually come to see him, but there's one day that's not bad. And I'd like to I'd like to believe the scouts today would look at the game that way. You know, you're not just going to a, to all the top grounds in Europe or in the world, if you like. 
Um, there's got to be a player out there that's, that somebody spots and says, uh, he's a one, you know. Even in the local parks, there must be loads of talent in this city. Yeah, I would, I would, I wouldn't hesitate going there. No chance. I mean, put your cap on and put your big coats on. Yeah. And I wouldn't hesitate going to the local parks, you know. We were just sitting in your living room when I walked in, Terry, you were watching a programme about Brian Clough. Yeah. Um, not as far as we're playing Man United on the telly. You're still in love with the game, aren't you? Oh, I don't know what I'd do if it wasn't football. Um, I mean, just recently I've had a couple of uh, hospital visits sort of thing and um, that's the, for the first time in my life I've I've not seen every game on the telly, you know, mm. um, through one reason or another. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it was a dream come true for me. What happened f- for me from school, and it's it still is now. I still love it that much, you know. You wouldn't swap your career as a player and a coach for the way they have it now with the millions of pounds. No, no. Um, with regards to when I look back and people say about the money now, I look back and I think. You know, my move to Tulsa gave me money that I'd never earned before. So for me, it was good. It was it was good money, and um, I don't look at these players now. And and, and it, you know, I'm not in in awe of them um, that they've got this this life and this these returns that they get because um, it, it's given to them by other people. You know. Mm-hmm. And uh, good luck to them, I say. Good it's been luck a wonderful story. It's been a wonderful lifetime of football. Teddy, thanks very much for joining us on Sons of the Seven Seas. It's been great, Darren. You can have a sausage roll now. It'll be cold now. <laughs>